We are The Table, and we are so glad that you have taken time out of your week to join us. Here at The Table, it is our hope to move you forward in life and faith over the course of this message. At The Table, we do things just a bit differently. We pose questions in real time, and we want to give you some time to wrestle with those questions as well. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope that this message moves you forward. God, today, Lord, um, what an honor it is to proclaim your name with such freedom. What a privilege it is to come and gather. Lord, may we not take it for granted. Lord, may we not take for granted the fact that you don't fail. May we not take for granted the love that you've poured out for us. And Lord, we come to you today. Lord, we come to you humbly. And Lord, we praise you. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise, Lord. Lord, your spirit is moving. We can feel it. We can sense it, Lord. And I ask that you just are with us with the rest of our time today. Lord, be with the words that you're speaking. Be with just the rest of the service, Father. Oh, you are just so good to us. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know what is up with me today, but I am just emotional. So (laughs) that's not usually, um, I'm not usually an emotional person. So, oh, you guys may be seated. I'm sorry. You guys may be seated. And today, yeah, I have been sitting over there and tears are just just flowing. So bear with me if if I just start sobbing up here. Just let's not make it awkward, okay? <laughs> no, hopefully that doesn't happen. But um, in the spirit, I can just, it's so tangible, so tangible. And I'm so thankful uh, just to be here with you this morning. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity to uh, just come and like Pastor Nate said, I'm from Olivet. My name is Jenna. Um, I am, in fact, an accounting major. So let's not. <laughs> no, don't clap. Don't clap. It's, it's not fun. You don't have to pretend that it's fun. <laughs> no, but um, Sage was here as well. Um, so thank you from me and from her and just from Olivet for letting us come um, and worship alongside you today. Well, it's November. October just flew by. It went so fast for me, at least. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I blinked, and now it's November. And Thanksgiving is soon upon us, so before we panic about, like, our grocery lists and and all the things, um, I just love Thanksgiving. I don't know about... I don't know about you guys, and I know that lots of people claim they love Thanksgiving because they get to gather with their friends... They get to gather with their family, but I know, everyone knows that we all love Thanksgiving because of the food, right? Like, let's be real, let's be real. I mean, the family is great. The family's great, but really, really we love like the mac and cheese or the mashed potatoes or the bread or whatever the case is for your family. 
<laughs> that's why we love, right? That's why we love Thanksgiving. No, no. <laughs> we actually do love our family sometimes. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But for me, um, personally, I'm like the worst cook in all of America, probably. Like, I belong on that show, like, Worst Cooks of America, or whatever the show is called. Because for me, my Thanksgiving, if I didn't have such an awesome mom and dad, would consist of, first of all, strawberry-flavored Pop-Tarts. Thank you. <laughs> Frozen French fries would be our main course, right? And then for dessert, we would have the marshmallows out of a Lucky Charms box of cereal. Y'all, like, that would be my Thanksgiving meal. And I'm content with that. I don't know about you guys. You're more than welcome to come to my apartment for Thanksgiving. But no, no. I really am just thankful that my mom and dad are awesome cooks. Um, and while we're all hungry probably now for strawberry-flavored Pop-Tarts and mac and cheese and frozen french fries, like, obviously, no, um, I want to tell just a little bit of a story. Um, I brought up my parents, and when I was in high school, um, I was in swimming, I had like a crazy schedule with swimming, and I worked, and my brother, he played football, and so my sister, she also works, so I'm a middle child. Both my parents have jobs, they both work, and so we all just had crazy schedules, particularly when I was in high school. And so we would be running around the house, it'd be like 7 p.m., I'd get home, my parents ate at 5, my brother got home at 6.30, right? So like we just had crazy schedules growing up. And I remember on multiple occasions, um, specifically like on the weekends, my brother, he would come up to all of us and he would say, he would like look at us. And he's big, right? Like he's taller than me, he played football. And he would look at us, me and my sister, and he'd say, guys, Let's sit at the dinner table and eat together. Like, let's stop running around like crazy people. And let's stop eating on the couch. For me, my family eats on the couch for dinner, um, which is awesome. It's, it's great. But he looked at us and he's like, guys, can we please sit at the table? And I know, like, we're at the table, church, and this is not like a pun. This is not a play on words. It just so happens that we're at the table right now, guys. So take it as a pun if you want, but that's not the intention. But he would always look at us and be like, can we please sit at the table? He pleaded that my family of five would gather together and just eat our meals, eat our dinners, share about our weeks, share about our struggles, our classes, what we've learned, just what my parents were doing, right? Because we would miss each other constantly. There's this certain longing there was a certain longing in his heart that's probably familiar to all of us that we would just have this communal activity around the table. Likely over a shared meal. This is likely a story or something that probably resonates with all of us. We all love to eat. We all love to sit and talk and share about our days. But I ask today, what is so special about this? What is so special about having a meal with someone? About sharing food, about breaking bread, and about having conversation? What is so special about this? Why do we all desire it? Why is this familiar? One factor is, yes, of course, the food fills our bellies and that makes us happy. But <laughs> the other factor is the people that we get to share the meal with. The other factor is the conversation that happens. There's something so special 
that happens around the table. Sharing a meal with someone is how we really get to know them, how we really get to hear about their days, hear about their struggles, whether that's friends, new or old, family members, or a stranger. We get to laugh, we fight, and then sometimes we reconcile. And I don't think that this desire, this shared experience, is by accident. I don't think that the Lord placed this all in our hearts just, just how it is. I think this was a very intentional act of the Lord, because in the Bible we learn that sharing a meal with someone is one of the primary ways relationships are started, they're developed, they're deepened, they're explored. And this happens with both others and with the Lord. In Exodus, we see Moses, Aaron, and other 70 other elders of Israel go up to Mount Sinai, and they, the scripture tells us they beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. Isaiah, in his book, often compared life in the new heavens and the new earth with the picture of divine banqueting. This is not by accident. And in the New Testament, we regularly find Jesus in his ministry reclining at the table. This is a regular occurrence. And one great account of this, where we'll be today, is found in the Gospel of John. So feel free to open your phones. Scripture will be behind us as well. Um, Or open your Bibles if you have a physical copy. But... Back to Peter. Peter is one, someone that knew Jesus well. He is one of Jesus' closest friends. Um, he's someone that Jesus cared for. He's one of his disciples. Yet, Peter, he knew Jesus well, right? We, we get account of this in all the Gospels. But G- Peter messed up rather often. He messed up quite a lot. And one of the biggest um, mess-ups, if you will, that is likely familiar is when Peter denied that he knew Jesus. Peter denied that he knew Jesus three different times, y'all. Three different times. We see this in John 18, which again, that's where we'll uh, begin today. But in order to capture the full picture of this story, the story of Peter and how Jesus entered Peter's life Jesus saved Peter time and time again. Jesus reconciled with Peter. We're going to follow this story through the Gospel of John. But in order to capture this full picture, we have to go back just a little bit into John 13. This is the story of the Last Supper. So this is where Jesus and his 12 disciples are dining together. Jesus predicts here that one of the people is going to betray him at the table. Jesus also predicts that Peter is going to deny him. In John 13, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, talking to Peter, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus predicts what Peter, in just a few chapters, is about to do. So knowing that, knowing that Jesus predicts this, knowing that Peter hears Jesus say these words, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Knowing this, now we can look into John 18, after the predictions of the Last Supper. Jesus is here, Judas is here, 
Peter is also in this scene. And like I said, Jesus had predicted that someone at the table was going to betray him. And this so happens to be Judas. Judas does, in fact, betray Jesus in John 18. Again, in this scene, Peter is here as well. For some reason, Peter has a sword on him. I don't know. And I don't understand, but Peter has a sword. And so when Judas comes up to Jesus with the guards, Judas betrays Jesus. The guards realize who Jesus is. Peter draws out his sword and he cuts a guard's ear off. Who knows why Peter just drew his sword, cut a guard's ear off, trying to protect Jesus. So this protection does not work. His attempt at cutting someone's ear off does not stop the guards from arresting Jesus. So the guards, they arrest Jesus, they bind him up, and they take Jesus to the high priest for questioning. So in this moment, this is where Jesus is at. He's in front of the high priest, and Jesus is awaiting questioning. Peter was left in the courtyard with likely just a random ear laying on the ground. (laughs) No, hopefully not. That'd be gross. But Peter is here in John 18, verse 15. So that is where we will pick up with our story here today. John 18, verse 15, it reads, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. This other disciple we predict is John. So since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl goes to the door. She says to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He responded and said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing there and warming themselves. So we're gonna skip a couple of verses and pick up our story in verse 25. It reads, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they, the servants and officers, said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. We see here this story, this story that Jesus predicted, this story of Peter denying that he knows Jesus. Not just once, not just twice, but three different times asked if he knew Jesus, and three different times he responded, saying that he does not know him. You know how just a couple minutes ago I said that Peter messed up sometimes? This is one of those times, right? This is, this is a pretty big mess up. When Peter realized what he had done, he started to cry. Scripture tells us he wept bitterly. I imagine when that rooster crowed, Peter just sitting in the silence, sitting in the remorse, sitting in the fact that he remembered Jesus' words. 
so overwhelmed with guilt, so overwhelmed with sadness, so overwhelmed with remorse, he couldn't do anything but weep bitterly. Have you ever done something? Have you ever had a big time mess up? Do you remember how that feels? Can you remember how that guilt lays on your heart? Can you remember how heavy the remorse is? How the anxiety floods your brain? Sometimes all we can do is sit in that feeling and weep. And the unique thing about our brains, the unique thing about memories and when we do things like this, our brains associate our surroundings with those memories. It's something that our brain just does. We remember the scenario. We remember things that remind us of these moments, good or bad. That could be clothing items. That could be people, places, things, smells. I know for me, the smell of chocolate chip cookies means that my mom has made chicken and mac and cheese for dinner. Super random, I don't know. But when I walk into my house, the smell of chocolate chip cookies brings me to that moment. Or when I hear the song Wagon Wheel by Darius Rucker play on the radio, I'm brought back to a moment of my childhood when my siblings and I are running trying to sit in the middle seat of my dad's golden suburban. Our brains do this. These are good memories for me, right? But they, our brains also do this with bad memories. Every time I walk past this table outside our library on campus, I'm brought back to a moment freshman year where I yelled at a friend of mine. I was so overwhelmed, I was so overstimulated with all the things that college throws at you, nonetheless being a freshman in college. And I let loose on her in front of all of our other friends. How embarrassing for me. How much guilt I still feel about this moment, right? Knowing that every time I walk past this table, I'm brought back to this moment. We all have these memories, good and bad alike. And knowing this, knowing these feelings that we associate with memories, we can only empathize with Peter. We only can sense this deep, stomach-wrenching moment when that rooster crowed and the silence flooded the air. The guilt eats away. And it's honestly easy to point fingers at Peter and say like, oh, well, you messed up. You denied him three times. Jesus told you you were going to do this. That's on you, blah, blah, blah. But if we can bring ourselves back to these memories, back to these moments, again, we can empathize. We know that stomach-dropping feeling. We know our surroundings in these situations. And Peter, he is surrounded by all of these memories, all of these tangible things that are going to bring him back to this moment of guilt, back to this moment of remorse. John depicts a visual for us. He says that it was cold. They had to start a charcoal fire to warm themselves up. So can you smell the smoke of the fire? Can you feel the silence in the air? While the smoke is filling the air, filling the lungs, this is the picture of Peter's immediate regret, of his weeping, of his sorrow, just as the rooster crowed. John doesn't give us these details on accident. 
This story, this picture of the fire is intentional. We all know what a fire smells like. We live in the Midwest. A bonfire, we can all sense it, right? You have to wash your clothes like two times to get the smell away. Two or three sometimes. But that smell, it doesn't go away, right? We know what it smells like. And for Peter, the smell of a fire does not bring back fun memories roasting s'mores. The smell of a fire for Peter brings back the rooster crowing, knowing that he just had denied knowing his master and his savior three different times. And I want us to hold on to this, hold on to this moment, this scene, because we're left with Peter weeping out of remorse. And this feels heavy, like this scene is heavy, but... A little spoiler alert, which we're going to get to in a second. This isn't the end of Peter's story. Right? John doesn't just end at John 18 saying, oh, well, that's just another account of Peter messing up. No, because that's not how Jesus works. That is not how our Lord works. Because if you have something that brings you back to a moment of guilt and shame, if you know that there is something that takes you back to these moments, back to these memories... It is not the end of your story. It is not the end of Peter's story. Whatever the case may be, whatever the feeling is, it's not the end. It doesn't have to be the final say of those memories. And how can I stand up here, right? I don't know all of you. I barely got to meet most of you, just with a shake of a hand. So how can I say that so confidently? I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what we've said, what we've done. I can say this because I know Jesus. I know that Jesus brings light to what is dark. Jesus brings healing to what is broken. Jesus brings freedom to what was bound. Jesus brings a way where there once wasn't a way. And Jesus here brings redemption to the guilty This is all because of Jesus. Jesus brings redemption to the guilty. We see this in John 21. So we were in John 18. A lot happens in these three chapters between John 18 and John 21. So much happens that I'd be up here for like five hours, which we don't want. If I, went, if I went into detail about everything that happened. So, Sparknote version, Jesus here, he's, right, he's awaiting questioning, awaiting the high priest. He is questioned, he is sent to, sentenced to death, he is crucified, Jesus is raised to life, and he then reveals himself to some of his disciples in just these few chapters. So much happens, so much. But a lot had also happened in Peter's life as well. Peter and the other disciples, once Jesus was crucified, they didn't know what to do. They saw their Savior die on the cross for them. They didn't know what to do, so they went back to their old way. They started to fish again. They went back, not fishers of men like Jesus had called them to, but they went back to their old way And we see in John 21, we see that, man, these disciples were not doing a very good job at once, what once was their job. They weren't succeeding at catching all of these fish. 
And in the scene of John 21, this is where the disciples are out on their boat. They're out fishing. They've been fishing all morning, probably late, late in the evening until early in the morning. And they still have caught nothing. Nada. I love fishing, but when I don't catch anything within like two casts, I'm like, eh. I'm out. Like, let's go back. Right? But so here, here, these disciples, man, the patience or the pride, I don't know, maybe the patience, but they were fishing all morning, caught nothing. And in the scene of John 21, Jesus is standing on the shore watching them. So this is where we're going to pick back up. John 21, verse 4, it says, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, he yelled, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boats and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul all the fish in because of the quantity. John, then, recognizing this familiar story, he's been here before, he realizes that Jesus is the person standing just 100 yards away from them on the shore. He calls out, he says, it is the Lord. Mm. Peter, then recognizing Jesus after John had just said this, Peter takes off his clothes, he jumps in the water, and he swims those 100 yards to shore. He couldn't wait for the disciples to tug in all those fish they just caught. Mm -mm. He realized his Savior was standing there on the shore. He had to jump in and start swimming. So once Jesus, or sorry, Jesus is already on the shore. Once Peter reaches Jesus, after those 100 yards of swimming, all the other disciples are probably frustrated with Peter that they had to haul all those fish in by themselves. They're moving their boat up to the shore, and when they all get there, Jesus is standing there. He's standing there around a charcoal fire. He's standing there around the same exact scene that we just left Peter in in John 18. The smoke is in the air. It's early in the morning. It's likely chilly. Peter meets his Savior around a fire and Jesus had already cooked them breakfast, y'all. There was fish and bread already on that fire. He was ready for them. He didn't need the fish that they just caught. But he invites them. He asks them, okay, like, let's bring the fish that you guys just worked all morning for. Sure, like, it's fine. So he invites them to breakfast. He breaks bread with them. He eats with them, and he serves them all fish. This is the scene that we meet Peter in. A scene of redemption, a scene looking in to the fire, likely with tears in his eyes, looking at the burning coals, smelling the smoke, remembering how he once stood here and warmed himself when he denied that he knew his master. So Jesus looks to Peter in front of all the other disciples, and he says to them, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter answered Jesus. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? Peter responds, he says, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter denied Jesus three different times. So now Jesus looks to him. He looks to him with intention, with their bellies once full of fish, around a fire with smoke in the air. Jesus looks to him and asks him three more times to reaffirm his love for him. Because once at the charcoal fire, Peter denied knowing Jesus those three times, and now Peter gets to restate how much he loves the Lord around this same scene. So after Jesus asked and Peter answered, Jesus twice gave Peter an instruction regarding how he should care for God's people. Peter could demonstrate this claimed love for God by feeding Jesus' lambs and tending to Jesus' sheep and following him. This means that Peter was called to feeding people the word. He was called to, to preach to them and to love on the Lord's people. He was not called to fishing anymore. He was called to set his eyes on the work ahead of him and on things above. Teaching people the truth, feeding their souls. And of course, this calling was not limited to Peter. The other disciples were there. This extended to the apostles. In 1 Peter, he says, So I exhort the, the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but rather by being examples to the flock. This is the calling. This is now the calling that is placed on all of our lives. By taking Peter back to the beginning, back to the moment of his calling, Jesus gives Peter a new start and a new challenge. This calling to shepherd the flock and feed his sheep. And the beautiful thing is that the Lord does the same for you. This was not the end of Peter's story. These things are not the end of your story because the Lord has such a special call upon your life. This call may require you to leave the old ways this call may require you to step out in faith in new life. Jesus, your risen Lord, will meet you in your feelings, will meet you in those moments of guilt and in those moments of shame and redeem you and in turn challenge you to get back to your calling, living once more for his kingdom, for feeding his sheep and tending to his flock and following him. And this church is our calling.
This, as a body of believers, is a life that we step into, a life of sitting at this intimate moment of dining with Jesus, sitting at the table with Jesus, letting him break through to us. And this doesn't need to be complicated. We don't need to overcomplicate it. We get to sit at the table that Jesus prepares for us. He already had the fish and the bread prepared, y'all. He had it there. We get to sit there and let him tell us who we are. Let him define our mistakes. Let, us, let him define who we were created to be. We were not created to sit in this guilt, to sit in the frustration of our past. We are called to step out into faith, into the freedom that the Lord has called us to, setting our minds on things above. We no longer have to be reminded of our past because we know who has redeemed us. We get to simply sit at the table with Jesus, letting him feed us, feed our souls, feed our minds, feed our spirits, and then we get to go and do the same thing for other people, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so I call you, I urge you to meet Jesus here Meet him in the simple yet intimate way with your hands open. The simple moment of just meeting Jesus at the table. And invite people to sit with you as well. Mm, the food would be great. The food would be awesome, friends. But, oh, the company of Jesus would be even better. Mm, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are just so good. Lord, you are just beyond good, beyond what words can even explain, Lord. You are so much better than, than we could ever ask for, Lord. And I just thank you that you invite us to sit with you in the most intimate yet caring way. Sitting with you and letting you define who we are, letting you reshape the memories and the guilt that we may bear. Lord, you've never failed at this, and we trust, we know that you will never fail. So Lord, we, we come to you, we come to you and worship once more, Lord, proclaiming who you are, proclaiming, Lord, that you are just so so good to us. If this message challenged you and moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at the table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.